Let, let's pray before we turn now uh, to the Word of God. God, our, our simple prayer today is this, that you will speak to us, that you will show us what your Word has to say. May we not hear the words of man, but may we hear the Word of God, the written Word, the Bible, the living Word, Jesus Himself. Give us ears that are open, hearts that will be changeable. Bless us, we pray, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the uh, next couple of Sundays, that's today and next Sunday, at both services, we're going to focus on the Christmas story, as you probably would expect us to. Uh, We'll sing carols, of course, old and new. We're going to have uh, familiar passages about the story of the Incarnation, as you would expect. And for our sermons, for our studies, we're going to think about the very first Christmas songs, or the very first Christmas carols, because many of the important characters in the Christmas story responded by bursting into song at the thought of Jesus coming, or the fact that Jesus came. Mary, Zechariah, Simeon, and the angels. So this morning, we're thinking of Mary. Now, a bit of context, because context is important. Mary has been informed by an angel that she's going to give birth to a son, and not any old son, but a very special son. In fact, the most important son that has ever been born, 32 and 30 of Luke chapter called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The Son of God and the Eternal King. This is the Son who was to be born. And Mary's cousin Elizabeth was also pregnant, we're told, verses 36 and 37. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. So the two ladies get together, and they share stories, compare, and encourage. Mary produces a remarkable song. I don't know what is your favorite carol. Away in the manger? Hark the herald? Ding dong, merrily on high? We're going to have that next week, by the way. Hope I haven't given away a secret. What's your favorite carol? I would suggest that this song, this carol, isn't high up in anybody's list or their top ten. Uh, probably it's not anywhere near your top ten. Maybe you hadn't even thought about it to be in your top ten. But maybe it should. What should strike us as we think about this particular song is that believers should sing. Isn't that right? Believers should sing. She believed and therefore the song. She believed, and therefore she sings. You see, believers are transformed into singers. Sinners are converted into choristers. This happened to Mary. But you say, oh, I can't keep a tune. I can't sing a note. 
When I sing, it sounds like the tune the old cow died to, or worse. Some of you know that I belonged to um, a Bible class years and years ago when I was a boy called Crusader Bible Class. T.S. Mooney was the leader. He was the best youth leader I ever had, and when I knew him, he was in his early 80s. So if you're a youth worker and you think that by the age of 26 or 27 or 30 and you're finished, think again. He was a great youth leader, but he was an awful singer. In fact, he used to hold notes to the end, you know, when the line should have finished. T.S. would go on with his drone, every single line to every single song. And us boys were trying to stop laughing, but the shoulders were going when it got really, really bad. Until somebody smacked us on the back of the head. You were allowed to do that in those days. <laughs> he couldn't sing a note, but he sang from his soul. He sang from his soul because he knew and loved Jesus. He was a great man of God. You know, I was thinking about, and we talked about this in staff. John probably is the best singer in staff level. Or, oh, Leslie Ann, you're on. Mm, well, uh. <laughs> but would anybody guess who's the worst singer in the staff team? Alex, would you know who's the worst singer? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever sat beside Alex singing? You'll never sit beside him again. <laughs> I got permission, by the way, to make fun of Alex. He's, he's in, in the joke. But listen, Alex has a problem about getting the joy in his soul to his mouth. Something goes wrong. <laughs> but his soul, his soul, like T.S.'s soul, like all our souls, should sing to the praise of our God when we realize what he has done. My soul glorifies the God, verse 46. My soul, this is where it begins. This is the key place. If you know Jesus and you realize who he is, then all you can do is sing. It's also good, of course, if the distance be to the song. But my soul is on fire. She's ignited with a gratitude to the God she knows and loves. And today, you know what? The children have not been our choir. We are the choir of God today. Every single one of us. We are God's choir today. We are God's choir here. And we should be fired to a note or a tune. If Christ, then your soul should be bursting with joy. And all you want to do is sing. Here's a great thought as we were in Revelation not that long ago, in the new heaven and the new earth, we'll be perfect singers. Imagine we'll be able to sing the hallelujah chorus perfectly. Isn't that a great thought? How can a true Christian be mute of God? I want us to think of a few things about the song generally and then look at it specifically. Here's a few, the first thing that we can say about this song generally. It's all about God. It's a God-centered song of praise. Who He is, what He's like, what He has done. God-centered, not me-centered. Here's the problem with many new songs, and some older ones, by the way, is that they are me-centered, man-centered. Because Mary is 
by the excitement that God has given to her. And he, she even mentions that God has done great things for me. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. But it's set in the context of God and his plans and his purposes. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Even our father's plan, God's plan to bless in the future, just as he has in the past, is what drives this young woman to sing her heart out. But of course, we've got to realize, just as Mary mentions Israel and descendants of Abraham. Do you know what we should realize? Every single one of us who knows Christ, who's saved by Christ, is that we're part of something really, really big. We're, we're, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of God's gospel plan. We're part of gospel purposes. Her life was is like that. Is my song, the song I sing, is it all about God? The second thing we can say generally about this song is that it's steeped in the Word. Over a dozen quotes from the Old Testament, the Bible, you know, bubbles out of her and out of the song. Psalm 103, Psalm 22, Psalm 147, Psalm 98, 1 Samuel 1. It's just full. She heard it read. She heard it preached. She memorized gospel truth. And you know what? If, If we really want to have a life that reflects the kind of songs we should be singing, the kind of gospel that we believe in. We need to know our Bible. We need to sing our Bible. We need to pray our Bible. And that's the way to praise, and that's the way to live. It's also graciously humble, you'll notice. Verse 48, for instance, for he has been mindful of the humble state. Mary has a unique role and humbled by it. She doesn't go with her nose into the air and say, wow, I'm the girl, picked, great I I am. No, she says, I'm humbled. God says, I want you to bear my son. It's a, to be graciously humble, dearest evidence is that, is that you have this kind of vicious, humble, Humility. humility. Do you know what we? It's not humility. We become mean, nasty, and bitter, and twist and proud. You think that's bad enough? There's more. Without humility, we blame others all the time. Without humility, our own sin. Without humility, we don't serve. We don't give. We don't wash feet. We don't do anything that Jesus does. Without humility, we are a shocking mess. Mary was humble. We see this coming out in her song. And also, another general comment we can make about the song is that it it just oozes thanksgiving. Again, this is remarkable because the Pharisees could have stoned her to death because, remember, she's pregnant and not married. She's betrothed but not married. She would would have faced stoning to death. She was now Satan's number one target, carrying the Savior of the world. She would know for certain that her son would die. She didn't realize now, but 
she would see her son die. And yet, despite all of that, she's grateful and thankful. No self-pity, no bitter complaints, no sort of, uh, why me? Woe to me. She's just thankful to be chosen by God. My faith, our faith, our worship, our living, this is what is needed. It's all about God. It's steeped in His Word. It's graciously humble. It's oozing thanksgiving. Mary's song, Mary's life was full of this. Our song, the song we sing as we live our lives, should be the same, can be the same. But let's think specifically just for a little while um, about God's character, because this is one of the things I think that comes out of this song. The lyrics proclaim who he is. It's a beautiful picture. Let's think of five things. First of all, he's Savior, my Savior. Verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, the humble Mary recognizes herself to be, like every other human being, a sinner who needs salvation. Now, we disagree with the Roman Catholic Church on this particular issue. We don't like to bang and bash other denominations. I don't think that's particularly helpful. But we will point out error when it's right before our very eyes. Mary is not, not a co-redeemer with Jesus Christ. Mary is not our advocate. Mary is not our mediator. Mary is not the dispenser of all grace. Mary cannot impart salvation to anyone, no matter how much faith they have in her. Mary needed her sins forgiven, just like you and just like me. God is Savior, not the church, not the good deeds we try and do, not Mary, and not yourself. So today, do you rejoice in God, my Savior? Do you believe, and, and have you received? I suppose those are the two things we often quote from, from John chapter 1. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead? Do you believe that you are a sinner? And do you believe that your only hope is in Jesus? And then, have you received, trusted in, rested entirely on who he is? See, Jesus is the Savior. God is a saving God. And he's kind, verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of a servant. Mindful is a beautiful word. Um, it means to regard with affection. It means to gaze at with favor. And here's the thing that perhaps you need to hear today, those of you who have been battered and bruised by living in a fallen world, and your health might not be very good, and your relationships at home may not be very good, and life has been cruel to you, and maybe things have let you down. Let me tell you, God is for you. God is for you. God is for the little. God is for the least. 
God is for the lost. So are you feeling low today? Are you feeling lousy? Are you feeling miserable? Are you feeling unloved, unwanted, confused? Then God is mindful of you. That's the kind of God he is. He's kind. He's also great, verse 49 and 51. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 51. For he's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's awesome. He's powerful. He's sovereign. And notice in verse 49, it's, it's the personal greatness that Mary points to. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And then in verse 52, he, he, he um, points to the fact that these mighty deeds have brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. He, he acts out his greatness for the good of the nations. He is the mighty one. And he's also the holy one, verse 49. Holy is his name. His name refers to his person, the sum of all his attributes. He is set apart, pure and perfect, absolutely perfect in his moral righteousness. And he is the only authority over us. No sin or weakness, no Flaws, not even a tiny little flaw. He is perfect, and yet he comes to those of us who are utterly flawed. He is powerful, and yet he comes to those of us who are pathetically weak. He is holy, and yet he comes to us who are wretched sinners. What a God he is. He's holy. And do you know what the greatest miracle of all? Do you know what the greatest miracle of all is? That such a God would come to such an earth to be among us and for us. The holy God comes and the holy God dies. No wonder Mary praises him. He's also merciful. This is the fifth thing, verse 15. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mercy is a beautiful attribute of God. It talks of God's faithful love towards those who deserve punishment. Now, there's a difference between grace and mercy. Both of them are very, very important. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And God gives us both. 54 and 55, for he's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Here's the covenantal mercy for God's covenantal people, down through the generations. Abraham, down through the generations. Do you, we need to teach each other who God is, what God does, why and how and to whom. Because it's so important. And because we are now part of God's family, that means our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren are blessed by him and will receive his mercy. We need to pass on the faith to them. And then they will pass on to their children and then to their children and on it goes. That's God's character, Savior, Kind, merciful um, God.
great and holy. But what about God's choice? Who God saves? Because this is very interesting how Mary also deals with this subject matter. And there's three things that, that, there's three kinds of people that we see God saving. The first is those who are spiritually humble, verse 51 and 52. For he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Here's the bad news, folks. God has a zero tolerance for the pride. If we come with, with pride in our hearts, we have no hope before Him. None whatsoever. Humility is a beautiful thing. Pride is a grotesque, repulsive, horrible, ugly sin. God lifts up the humble, and God humbles the pride. See, by nature, we are pride people. It means we don't see ourselves as sinners. It means, therefore, we can't see Jesus as the Savior we need. Why would you need a Savior if you don't recognize your sin? We all need a a mighty dose of humility before God. What do we tend to emphasize here uh, as we live in this modern world? Well, we, we emphasize good looks, don't we? We emphasize money. We emphasize power. We emphasize IQ. Very often, that's how we measure people. Do you know how God measures people or what He emphasizes? Humility. Humility. And Phil Reichen is right when he says, the humble are shown mercy, the proud receive justice, the lowly are lifted up, the lofty are brought low. The second kind of group that, or it's the same group, by the way, but described in three different ways, is that they're spiritually hungry. Verse 53, for he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Do you remember what we studied back, I think it was September time, or maybe earlier, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Matthew 5, verse 6. They will be satisfied in God and in His beautiful grace. And yet still, because of the language used in that beatitude, they will continue to hunger and continue to thirst for more and more of Him. So the more we feed on Him, the more we will hunger for Him. The more He satisfies us, so the more we want of Him. The problem is that if we are filled with self-righteousness, we will never be spiritually hungry. Oh, I'm, I'm okay the way I am. Thank you very much. How dare you suggest that I'm not? If we believe that we are basically a good person with just a wee bit of religion on a Sunday is all that I actually need, then you will not be spiritually hungry. And you will say, you know what? I try my hardest. I do my little bit. That's enough. No, says God. Or if we stuff our lives with the pleasures of the world, 
we will not be spiritually because we're trying to satisfy the hunger souls with the things of the world. It does. It can't heal with good things, but has sent the rich empty. Spiritually hungry people, by the way, are not the cool, confident, hip and I myself kind of person. No. Really hungry person is, he's desperate. Here she's, she fits for God. The reality, that's the kind of God he chooses, the spiritually hungry. Like Mary. If you can't, Jesus, if you can't cry out, Jesus, save me. Do you know what he'll do? He will send you away empty, lost, and sad. Because he chooses the humble and the hungry and also the helpless. Verse 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. He has helped his servant. Helped means here to take hold of, to embrace, to support. That's how he treats the helpless. And Mary remembers how God dealt with Abraham and his descendants. So many helpless people. Can you imagine the multitudes of helpless people there were from the people that came after Abraham? But again, if we don't recognize we're helpless, we, we cannot be chosen. We cannot be part of God's people if we're self-sufficient, if we're self-reliant, if we are self-satisfied. We're not helpless. We are, in fact, helpless, but we don't see ourselves as helpless. This is who God chooses. So are you listening to the lyrics of this song, this Christmas hit? Perhaps the first Christmas number one? Her was of a hungry, humble, helpless heart. So believers sing with songs that are all about him, with songs that are steeped in his word, with songs that are graciously humble, with songs that are oozing thanksgiving. Why? Because our God is Savior, and He's kind, and He's great, and He's holy, and He's merciful. I suppose, though, it really depends on how we see Jesus. I want to end with um, a quotation from Sam Storms, because he deals with this in one of his uh, writings. This is what he says. On the question is, how do you view Jesus? This is what he says. Take note. Your view of Jesus tends to shrink over time. Isn't that sad? Say it again. Your view of Jesus tends to shrink over time. And as your shrinking Jesus becomes smaller Jesus, he is easily eclipsed by your idol's and your ego. 
the bigger and more biblical your understanding of who Jesus is, the more likely he is to be of such an object of love and adoration that the idols that, that aim at capturing your attention and swaying your allegiance will lose their power. Because small Jesus does not inspire awe, command respect, lead to worship, or compel us to talk of him. So please remember, Jesus is bigger than you tend to think. Folks, Jesus is not small. Jesus is not smaller than your idols and your ego. But if you have a small view of Jesus, then your idols will become more important and your ego will be number one. Know the real Jesus. Praise the big Jesus. Love the saving Jesus. That's the message of Mary and Mary's song. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message of hope for you and your family. Please continue to be with us over these four studies on the four songs of Christmas. And may God bless us as we understand what it's all about. Can I lead us in prayer? Father, we thank you for your amazing love, your grace to us, your mercy to us. You are indeed great. And we pray that as, a, as individuals and as a family, church family, and as individual families, we will know our Savior who is kind and great and holy and merciful, that we will be indeed spiritually humble, spiritually hungry, spiritually helpless, so we will know your great grace and your great power and your majesty. Bless us all, we pray, in this day. In Jesus' name, amen.